And, and to be clear, when I was in college, I work at, worked at a grocery store and I was a checker. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, it's A-B testing. It's A-A-B testing. I was thinking Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey. We're doing a podcast, and um, did you know we're doing a podcast? Are you aware uh, of this fact? Are I you aware just, that we have a podcast? I did just call in. All what right. are we on? One, 167. One, so we've been doing this podcast. Here is the the. the question of the day, a little podcast trivia, and you can play along at home. Just open your favorite podcast app and put it in this code. What was the date that we posted episode one of AB testing? Wasn't that April, April something, April 1st? What year? Oh God, I have no idea. April 13th. 2014. Okay. We are coming up. You know, we're six months away from our nine-year anniversary. Not too bad for two people who started a podcast uh, for really uh, almost on a dare from Michael Hunter, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was a dare. You guys should make a podcast. We're dumb enough to go, um, sure. <laughs> we'll yeah. do anything. Uh, I- I, I I interpreted it a little bit differently. He he could have said you should, you guys should stick your finger in a light socket. We would have gone. Um, yeah, sounds great. Uh, you might have. Yeah. So I, I might have because I'm <laughs> I'm not particularly bright. But what's interesting, and I want to do a little meta and talk about the podcast a little bit here today. I was in a meeting today with some folks external to Unity and with some folks internal to Unity and and. Almost all the time, I'm finding more and more stalkers, and you know who you are. It's like the podcast was a different thing when everybody who listened was an anonymous human being we didn't know. Remember when we had three listeners, and like Jim Moore would come up and say, hey, I'm one of your three listeners. And Steve would say, I'm one of your three listeners. And we only have three listeners, but... Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) Anyway, the point I was getting to was as you type away on your fucking keyboard... Is that these that, folks in this meeting are like, oh, hey, man, do you know Alan has a podcast? Like, they listen to the podcast. So, hi, Wyatt. Hi, John. Hi, Stephen. Hi, anybody else who's listening. It's not a very good podcast. It, I, I guess. It is, know, an, it is an excellent example of the. This is no 98% the, the, invisible. This no, is no the, Malcolm Gladwell. Stop. This is an excellent example of a podcast for the genre we invented. What, what what's the genre? Uh, it, I'm leaving that for the listeners. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, actually, we are the number one podcast of all time in our genre as well. Uh, absolutely, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm picking up what you're laying down. I so. I, I switched to Anchor FM for hosting, which has been really good. And this, I'm not, I could do ads for Anchor and they pay us, but I don't, you know. Uh, but Anchor's been pretty good. There's your ad, Anchor, if you're grepping text in our podcast. But they keep stats much better than the, my previous platforms I used. 
do you know, so it's been less than a year. It was last January. I changed everything over to anchor and screwed up everybody's feeds and got it all correct again. Guess how many, another, another Jeopardy question, another, this is on, on your quiz app, everybody. Guess how many people in that last year have gone back to listen to episode number one and, and made it through the vast majority of it? Three. Oh, now what's weird? It could it could be the same three people, each doing it two hundred and fifty four times because we have seven hundred or two wrong math. Anyway, we have seven hundred and twelve listens of episode one in that last year. I don't know what you people are doing. That is, uh, even though even its debut episode was still the top of our genre. It was uh, not even meh. It was it was Brenton Allen trying to figure out how equipment worked, trying to figure out what to talk about, which is kind of what we're doing here eight and a half years later. Yeah, you know, when you when you master a skill, you make it part of the environment and it, we'll call it the dark genre as well. Well, Why then not? let's but we've made it very clear on this podcast and, and specializing generalists that I'm really a master of nothing. My secret skill is I can learn enough of anything to be super effective, but I'm not a master of anything. I will say your secret power in this context. And I do not, I do think that this phrase very well captures it. And I do not in any way, shape or form mean any offense. This is nothing but praise. Right, you are the master of fake it till you make it. Oh, I one hundred percent. That is, you know, maybe that's how we work together. So I was thinking about how different you and I are. Like I was making, um, they're asking about the podcast, and, I, and someone brought up the fact we're talking about politics sometimes. And I said, "Yeah, Brent's one of those stupid libertarians who lets his political views get in the way of actually making progress in the country." But we'll get we'll get back to that later. But. Um, <laughs> But also in this context, you know, Brent saying you're number, number one, one. Number, yeah. number one of my genre. That's yes. great. So uh, you have you are a deeper expert in the areas where you need to be like you were deep in test automation and you know wrote a, a very good and probably one of the best test automation harnesses used at Microsoft, um, both a praise and a dig. Also, what you're doing now yeah. with data science, and it's it's super deep what you know. And I'm more of a, I mean, you've seen me. I can get around in the data science world, and uh, but I faked everything. But it's it's even before I got into tech, that was my thing. Uh, I played in high school. I played clarinet and saxophone. I did not want to bring my nice saxophone outside to play in the marching band. So I, I learned how to play drums well enough to make the drum line in my high school. So then I played drums in drum corps, played drums in college, the college marching band. I even, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. So here's like, the funny part. Uh, not only did I do that, and then I played, I played percussion. I made the top jazz band playing vibraphone, uh, vibes. If vibraphone. You know is that the the cool thing that they use to make the the Star Trek sound? It's, it's like no 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 that's a theremin. It's like a xylophone, but metal, wider keys, about uh, two octaves or one octave below. Often used in jazz. So a big fan of Gary Burton for those of you who want to dig in there. So I I wanted to do it. It was actually easier path. There was an easier path to me to get in the top touring jazz band playing mallet percussion 
than it was for me to get in the long, long line of saxophonists. So I did that for a while. And then here's the funny part. I went out, I don't know if everybody knows this, that I taught school for four years after I graduated. I came back to graduate school. You know, it was, I went back to graduate school at the same school. They knew me, but we had a new percussion director who was just fantastic. And in graduate school, I studied composition. I did not have to play an instrument, but it was, I needed a place to like, get people to play my composition. So I, so I lied a little, what did I do? I don't know if I lied. I, I told them I was a percussionist and I joined and I joined the percussion department and I studied private lessons under not the grad assistant, which all the, the noobs had to take underneath the professor. And I played in the, he put me in the top percussion ensemble, assuming I knew what I was doing. And I absolutely faked it until I made it. I remember him giving me a timpani solo. You know what, tim- you know what timpani are, like kettle drums. Yeah, um, they're that cool. Was, yeah, but boom, they're, boom. they're tuned with your, there's pedals that tune them and they're not easy to tune. There's a lot of ear in there and a lot of like feel. And I just, you know, I practiced till I could do it. And I, I nailed my timpani parts. And I ended up playing timpani in our top orchestra as well. And just, I didn't know what I was doing. I was faking my way through it. So that was my, so I faked my way through there. But even, yeah. My whole life, just, I have, I, I do, like, if I want to do something, I'll learn just enough so I can do it. And that's um, in, until I'm not good enough to do that anymore. And then I do something else. That's my thing. Yeah, I, w- I just wrote down five letters. J-I-T-G-E. Just to see if it spells something cool. Because you are just in time good enough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to me... So I'm a I'm a b- believer in fake it till you make it. The problem, one of the things I think that is different than you and I on that front is we both have sort of imposter syndrome. I, you're in my way of resolving it is fundamentally different and i'm trying to like for me i go to an analytical space i say okay i need to know this so i'm gonna freaking know it and i in in my quest for that knowledge just to just to alleviate the fear i have around imposter syndrome i go i definitely go deeper than than you do i don't have a solid sense of good enough when i'm in that phase when I'm when I'm running from my imposter syndrome fear, honestly, I think it is. And this is, you know, I don't mean this demeaning to myself or praising to you, but it was a different. We have a different kind of intelligence or smartness. You're able to go deeper. I get to a point where there are vastly diminishing returns on me going deeper. I am, I am much better knowing a lot about a little than I am knowing a little about a lot. And there are some things, obviously, music, I've because I faked it so long there, I know some things about the same thing with with computers and debugging and some of the areas I've dug into. But I think the way I'm wired, I'm better suited to just do what I do. I do what I do because it's what I'm best at. This J-I-T-G-E is, is the way for me to be the most effective in anything I'm doing. And, that- and I, I don't... I don't I just don't think I'm to spell it more clearly. I don't know if I have the mental capacity to go as deep as you do on some things. Well, uh, I don't know that that's true or not. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I don't mean I it's self-demeaning. You, I kind of mean like I just I think it's the way it is. Maybe, maybe. I mean, there's other 
uh, there's other commonalities we do share, right? We both, I would say we are both more starters than, than closers in a lot of regards. You are a better closer than I am for certain. And maybe that's why you are driven by good enough. It's like, okay, I, uh, you, you got to close. Uh, whereas I'm like, no, I got to figure out how to defer closure because there's not enough, none of here to make my imposter syndrome go away. But we, we are both fascinated by the new, very interested by the new, right? Yes. Like, even though you and I are discussing our differences, uh, it doesn't, doesn't at all alleviate that we are, I don't know if there's a term for this, but from a technical standpoint, ADHD ridden. Let me talk about the new because and see if our approach to the new is different because I believe that. I have read, you know, I read a lot of books and when I'm in a groove, I'll read a book every two weeks and digital cover to cover. But I probably have 50 books I've read half of because I get halfway through and I feel like I have learned everything. I, I, I'm fascinated in chapter one. I am pattern matching the hell out of chapters two through 10. And then I'm kind of done because I've, I've figured out how to incorporate it. So when I get a new idea, whether it's from a book or a video or a lecture or wherever, I want to learn it well enough to understand if it fits within the other patterns that I know and how to connect it. And once I get it there, though, I'm kind of done with it. I have a similar collection of books, and I'll say 50 of them. Well, so if we assume a subset of 50, I would say 50% of them, I have at least finished chapter one. I'll say easily 25% of that 50, other than opening the book to go, ooh, my book came. Uh, that's all I've done with it. And then the other 25%, right, I'm still multitasking and working my way through it. Yeah, it's... When I collect books, I do it from a, usually I do it from, I have a very tactical problem that I'm trying to solve. And I'm like, I, I think this thing is, is going to, to help fix it. I used to, uh, my daughter and I were talking about this. So I used to be a big sci-fi reader. And ever since shifting to data science, I haven't, I haven't read just to read in forever. Stephen Johnson books, those are sort of the last ones that I would read to sort of understand certain concepts better. Like where ideas, so we've talked about this before on the, um, uh, in Strength Finders, I have ideation. Where ide ideas come from is absolutely fascinating to me. And strength. The string finders thing very much indicates that the more you that it's not a attribute of me. It's something that it's a skill. It's something I can develop and take advantage of. And I do. Yeah. So that's sort of in personal development. I see you reading things from my perspective. Some of the things you read are just I just go, uh, that's randomly random. It, it, no, it no. Doesn't... So let me talk about what I'm doing. <laughs> so I have 
let me go back to the first time I was a people manager. And in hindsight, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, look, look at me. I'm not a micromanager because I'm giving people no coaching, no guidance. I'm leaving them alone so I can do my own IC work and, and um, we'll, we'll talk when we have time. Not very good. I didn't know. I didn't give people nearly enough feedback, good and bad. I, I was lucky to have a good team. So we performed well. So if you look at how the team, if you look at, as a manager's reflection of the team doing well, I looked good because my team was doing well because we had hired well. Then I struggled the first time I had employees who weren't delivering and maybe I didn't realize they were delivering. So I wasn't paying attention. So I learned a lot. And then, so talking about running away from imposter syndrome. So now I have a bank, like I have a bank of knowledge. I use to lead my team, to manage people, to influence people, to make decisions, to build strategies, et cetera. I have a bank of knowledge in my head, which has come from both uh, practice on the job training or on the job practice and reading a bunch of books. So all the time I am looking at when I see a book or hear about a book or if I hear a review of a book, because I listen to so many damn podcasts, I hear people talk about books. I will consider like, can this book bring new knowledge into my new knowledge into my body of knowledge? So my goal in all these books I'm reading is I want to talk about the pattern matching. I want to read this book and figure out, can I pattern match this? Does this change? Does this like, does this change my body of knowledge? Does it, does it make me make a fundamental like, Oh, I was looking at this wrong. Does it, emphasize things I'm doing that maybe I want to do more of. Like I, there's a psychological fallacy for this, I'm sure, but I, the books that preach to what I already do, I nod my head and go, wow, this is a great book. Cause I already do this stuff. I must be awesome. But still you get ideas on how to influence things. You get those anecdotes you can tell to help, to help with all of those problems. So I'm just trying to add to my body of knowledge and I ignore all the rest. That's what I talk about when I get halfway through sometimes and not all books are like this, but sometimes I get halfway through and it's like, well, I don't, I've read the last three or four chapters and found no new knowledge to incorporate. So I go and tell my ROI on reading the book has faded. And that hasn't happened in a while. I've been reading a lot of books all the way through lately, but I've been slowing down because work's been super busy and, and gross and all that stuff. But that's sort of my approach. I'm trying to add to my knowledge, bring in as much as I can to help me just get I'm always trying to, like you and I are the same, trying to get better at what we do and it's incremental, but I always feel like there's got to be one nugget that's going to help me do just a little bit better next week. So that's what I'm searching for. Yeah, I am constantly, I pay attention to how, how do I stay in a leadership position in the things that I'm doing, but I'm also paying attention to the next transition, right? It. We, we've talked about this. Uh, so my role is a data science, and I do believe we're at the end of the data science era, era and, it, and it converts into a primarily a dev role sometime before I retire, right? And so I feel like, okay, while I'm working, I'm beholden to, number one, improve myself there and then guide my team in that direction. Right. And, and they kind of benefit each other because then I'm leading by example as well as, you know, coaching and guiding. Now, the other difference is you're you're now a highfalutin executive and I'm still frontline. So you're going to be probably guiding your 
your directs more on the strategic sense and the and how to set good principles. Yeah, right? and no, maybe yeah, you know, absolutely right. I, I am much more management overhead, but also even you know when I was frontline, like my main objective, and we've talked about this before on the podcast. Drink still in this role is and one of the reasons it's so challenging is I'm still trying to make myself obsolete. And this is a, a fun part. I've never been in this position before as, you know, really purely a manager and, you know, working across the company. My entire role is to take my nine direct reports and make it so they can all function completely without me. Let me give you an example. Well, that part makes it, it's not an example. I'm going to give you an anecdote. I took last week. Last week, oh God, we didn't talk about our stuff. So last week, I flew, I took a red eye Saturday night a week ago. From, no, it was two weeks ago. I took a red eye from Seattle to Detroit and then flew from Detroit to Buffalo, hung out with my kid for about six hours, went back to the airport, flew back to Detroit, flew from Detroit up to Montreal, spent Monday, Tuesday, half day, Wednesday in Montreal, flew back to Detroit, back to Seattle. And I worked on Thursday. Oh my um, God. That all that exhaust. I did not catch COVID. Pretty pretty exhausting. A lot of work. It was necessary for me to spend a little time there and, and see some people. But one of my directs pinged me and said, Do you have time to talk today? I said, Okay, yeah, totally. I always have time. And and they said something to the effect of, uh, I know we don't because I canceled all my one-on-ones because I was traveling for that week. I took a week off from one-on-ones. And they said, I'm so glad you found time. I it's it's really hard when I I don't have a chance to check in with you every week. And while I think the one-on-one is the most important meeting you can do, that is a little bit of a yellow flag for me. I have to get, I think, I, I don't want that to be the case. I want people to feel like they have the courage, autonomy, um, confidence to execute without checking in with me regularly. Yeah, it does. It does feel a little codependency-ish. Yeah, and I and yeah. I and, well, it's not co. I don't, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's yeah. a it's it's coaching more coaching. I need to do. I need it's it tells me I'm not obsolete yet, so I'm still work. I got a ways to go, and I need all the skills and tips and tricks I can get to get there. Yeah, I I I have similar phenomenon. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, mean, meanwhile, there's always rumors of, okay, I'm making some progress. And they go, oh, Alan, your org is good. Let's, we, can we put some more teams in your org? I go, no. <laughs> but it's all right. Yeah. Who's this, who are these people who get to define good? So before we get off even further into whatever agenda we're actually no, talking this is about. The, the agenda <laughs> is this winding road. For those of you on the uh, first time, welcome to the AB testing podcast where you learn what we're saying pretty much the same time we are after I publish. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Extra specially tangential episode. Yeah, I, like, I know some podcasts have like a title and agenda before they start. Like imagine that. I feel like we used to function that way, and then we don't. But this is this is kind of oh, by the way, today is International Podcast Day, which is why I wanted to take some more time to talk about the podcast itself. That's there. there there's the agenda. Anyway, you were saying. Oh, oh gotcha. Uh, usually segues happen first, but you know, innovation is coming from Alan today. Watch uh, me magically <laughs> edit this entire podcast into something coherent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you don't have the time for that. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> and, and you, I don't know, like you, 
there was a time when you would listen to the podcast with your with your son in the car, but I think your sons are older now. They don't ride in the car with you anymore. Uh, they don't. They don't. My daughter does still, you know, um, very often, but she is now at a point where appropriately uh, she doesn't want to listen to the podcast. Right. <laughs> one of the things I'll, I'll bring up, like, I so she's have, not one of the three. Got it. She is not one of the three. Uh, my oldest still was uh, for a while in college. Just I, I guess because you know he missed dad or something. It's like that. It's his way of checking on you to make sure you're not talking about him. Right. But I encountered something that you've been dealing with for a long time. I encountered it for the very first time. Um. On August first. I met my new employee who started off with, I'm one of the three. No shit. And I'm like, what? Why? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would have said. That's what I would have said. Do you really not have anything better to do with your time? Uh, Yeah. So it was my first day meeting her. So I didn't want to go into incessant mocking on the first day, you know, good impressions and all that. You got to work, you got to build a relationship before you can mock each other. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, But I'm like, dear God, why? (laughs) Right. That is my reaction too. Today, when I heard these people say, oh, you should have got Alan's podcast. Alan has a podcast. Like, oh God, no. Anyway, go on. So the reason why is she, new person straight out of college, was hoping to get some intel on the manager, right? And the title of the podcast is A-B Testing. She's coming into a data science role. Feels like I see. <laughs> Did she ask you? So I listened to your podcast and it kind of sucks. What's your data behind continuing to do it? I, I had my one-on-one with her literally an hour ago for this week. Uh, I I may I may need to bring up questions like that uh, next time. It, it, it just basically, you know, seriously, why? Like, I, it's it's almost in my mind. It, it almost should be an interview question. Do you listen to the AB testing podcast? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's not. No, you need to make it a behavioral question. Tell me about a time you listened to the A-B testing podcast. Uh, I wonder. I'm just think, putting myself in into the three's shoes right now. And they're like, what the hell? They're just spending the last 10 minutes bashing their own podcast. Well, uh, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, look, it is no 98% invisible, like I said before. But uh, it, it is, is number one in this genre. It is number one in this genre. And and what is that genre? What do we – It's is the genre – it's something like two – Dudes talking while they're drinking beer, even though I think we're both drinking coffee right now. I have a Coke. Yeah. And we've only actually drunk anything adult beverage uh, once. Yeah. On my very last day at Microsoft. But that was a good adult beverage. That was a, that was an excellent adult beverage. So uh, <laughs> here I am. Do you know, and just to get an idea how time flies on the podcast, and I should go look up what episode that was. I think for sure, for sure, we have done more episodes with me not at Microsoft than we have at Microsoft. For sure. I, I, I have been at Unity now five years and seven months. 
and the podcast is about eight and a half years old. Doesn't that blow your mind? A little bit, but when I think about years and time, I try and anchor it to things, which has been really hard over the last two and a half years. I've lost all my anchors. Like it, you know, the pandemic could have began three months ago. It's all just kind of a blur or 10 years ago. But anyway, yeah, it does blow my mind. Been here a long time. Still liking it. Yeah. Yeah. It's challenging. <laughs> I, I tell, I, I need to tell myself the same time, same thing I tell people on my team. If it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. Right. And that's absolutely true. Although the corollary the corollary is true too, I think, that if it's not easy, then it better be fun. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, I ran into doesn't tangents. I keep on running into people I knew in a past life. I found one of my skip levels worked on teams. He joined after I left. I thought that was kind of funny. Oh. And then I found somebody else who just met in the office of the day. They used to work on, they remember me from Xbox and I, I had forgotten who they were. Yeah. We're, we're at that age too. No uh, kidding. Right. No kidding. <laughs> they're, they're all the t- now actually with COVID. So the other thing that's happening is I'm doing with COVID, you do end up doing a lot of presentations online and you have no idea. Like you don't even see the audience list on teams a lot of the time. Right, because it's 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 like seventy people, and you you just see like the three that have their hands raised. You don't have right? a, does teams not have like a gallery view where you can see everybody? Uh, they do. Because like when I do a team meeting, I use gallery view so I can see people's like I can. Uh, these days I'm getting good at. It. I can zoom in on facial reactions. I can say, "Hey, Lance, you're making a face. What's up?" <laughs> do you actually have a guy named Lance on your team? I do, but I'm he he's probably listening right now. Sorry, oh, Lance. Gotcha. <laughs> just pick just pick the name. The uh, you're talking about teams and lectures, so uh, that's no, no, so, the subject I wanted to talk about. But go ahead. the The point I was bringing up is is it's often the case someone will come up and it will go, "Oh, hey, Brent," and then I'll look at them and I'll go. And and they don't have a mask on, which, and I'll still go, hey, person, uh, based off of your reaction, I should probably know, but have no idea why you know my name. <laughs> it, it is difficult to match from the 2D world to the 3D world. When I was in Montreal two weeks ago, I had a lot of that. And people both that I had been on my team, I never met in person, people I knew that I had seen before in the 3d world is a lot of people said, Oh, Hey, Alan. And of course I have this, um, uh, small beard makes me more recognizable, but like, they're, they're like, I just, a lot of that. Well, One it depends. Th- like if, if you, uh, if you go and search for you on, on the interwebs, right. You find the football player, Supreme court justice, Alan page. No, no, no. You, you, I'm, I'm saying find you not search for your name, but search for you. Okay. Right. You you've had facial hair forever, but not this glorious uh, 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 noun uh, that, that you that you're sporting now. I, I couldn't come up with a good noun, so uh, you have to fill Maine. in your best. Maine Maine's a good one that you're you're sporting now. Yeah, it's, my, it, it's it, my tribute to COVID. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times, I'll go on conference calls. 
and I keep my camera off. And so it's a picture that I haven't updated in like 10 years. I keep the camera off because I'm a big old fatty fat fuck from Fatsville now. And I can't stand looking at my camera. I, if you notice right now, I'm, I'm like backed away because then with my eyesight, my own image kind of just blurs out and good for you. Good for I you. can just stare at you. All right. And, and that is a beautiful thing to look at. So um, I know originally when we talked three weeks ago, I took last week off, but uh, when we talked three weeks ago. Uh, we were going to talk about how someone goes from testing into a more experimentation role. And we may get there today, but I do have one more question now that we're on the subject of, we talked about podcasts and this is not the normal AB testing, but what the hell we can do what we want. It's our podcast. I heard a podcast and again, adding to my knowledge and, and a lot of times what happens is I'll get an idea and I want to experiment with it. So I heard an interview with a leader at Doist and Doist is the company that makes uh Todoist, which I'm a big user of for task tracking. And they also make a um, sort of a, a Slack teams like app called uh, twist, which I'll come back to in a minute. They are just 90 people in 30 countries. And okay. which is, you know, a little unity, like we're pretty spread out. And I was talking to somebody this week, you know, Microsoft is actually I was talking to one of these folks who used to work at Microsoft in the Vancouver office. I have one of those on my team and Microsoft. I don't think you can argue with this, Brent. It, it's very Redmond culture. And maybe it's different from when I've been there, but very Redmond culture. 90% of the companies in Redmond. If you're not in Redmond, it's kind of it's common knowledge. At least it used to be. It's harder to get promoted, harder to make, you know, influences the the. It's a very Redmond culture. Um, I will say yes, that okay. is so, still probably true, but it's it's f- far different. Yeah, so I imagine. A, I, I imagine it's getting better. You're getting more global. And I was thinking about yeah. well, where I work at Unity, we're not definitely not every third person in a different country, but our our headquarters isn't even our largest office. Oh, <laughs> so uh, so that, but it's a little. It's a lot more. The same everywhere. But anyway, Doist, because they're global and we're global too, and you know, I have people spanning 10 time zones. Actually, if I don't count my teams in APAC, nothing against people in APAC. I'm just limit of hours in the day. Lots of time zones, but Doist do almost everything asynchronously. And it made me think like, what am I doing? How... One thing we haven't learned, I'm curious if you've got any tips or tricks on this, is as no. a company, <laughs> we're not great at working asynchronously. And I, I want to get better at it. So I started reading more of their articles. They have great articles on doist.com on, on how they've learned to work asynchronously, things they do. And some of them are kind of out there, but it's like even their CEO has like four meetings a week. Okay. I'm listening. <laughs> right. The, the, if this, my problem with asynchronously is that I do not, I do not yet know of a good technique to work asynchronously and still build a, a strong team. Right. So, so mm-hmm. as you know, from like my discussions with Galazzo and things like that, what I, what I work towards is not making a team of rock stars, but a rock star team. And if this book 
can can solve both of those things. Like, yeah, well, there's no book. There was a blog or there was a, oh. a podcast that I listened to, and I then so I started reading articles from the Got company. It. And so there's no book. And also, you're absolutely right on the relationship building and the team building. It accelerates so many things. It's like you got to get people to the whole team together for a week and then they can work apart asynchronously for a while and be pretty successful. It is really hard to do it off the bat. It takes, I think it takes some discipline and practice. And one of the reasons they built, so actually this is something teams is better at than Slack. Oh my God. Did I say that is uh, if you remember way back in the day um, I worked on teams, um, we had threading built in Slack said, Oh, Threads may be convenient and sort of they added threads, but they're really lame. Threads in Slack are lame. So so what really bugs me is in Slack, somebody makes a post and sometimes there are comments and reactions or um, questions to that in the main channel and some are on a thread and they get intermingled with other messages. It's very confusing. So they built, it wasn't working for them. And so they built Twist, which is just yet another messaging only platform. It's messaging only platform, but it's threaded by default. So it's the old style of here's a post and you make comments on that post. You don't make another post to reply to it just to kind of force people down that path. And they use these threads to work asynchronously. So it is possible. Uh, you got to get people engaged on it. A lot of times people, yeah, if you don't get them in that meeting to draw them out, it's hard, especially if they don't know you, there's a level of trust involved. I think it takes a ton of work. So kudos to them if they're working asynchronously. It's you can't just say we're going to work asynchronously now and have it work. No, it is a battle. No, because there's there has to be something that is guiding what gets done next. What what direction are we heading? Do we adapt, persevere? Like that that just going straight up all async from an intellectual point of view, it's fun to think about. Well, let me talk about a couple of things I'm going to do after reading all this stuff. One is I'm still going to do all my one-on-ones. They do async one-on-ones. I need, you need the FaceTime, but, 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 but how many, I'm going to ask you this. How many times in your one-on-one does your direct report ask you a bunch of questions or give you a bunch of information that didn't have to be in the one-on-one. It could have been in a, in a team's message or an email. Oh, uh, 50 to 80% yeah. of the time. More, more than would be more than is necessary. And that to me, that cuts down on the time we can talk about career we t- earlier before we talked about career growth and strategy and, and working with them on that. So one thing I'm going to do is make sure we have a, a shared channel so we can have uh, discuss more of those tactical things asynchronously, those little check-in things. Like, what do you think about this? I want to do the, I don't want to take our one-on-one time to do that. I want to take our one-on-one time to talk about how I can help them grow enough where I can be obsolete. That's my goal in the one-on-one. And if I have to check in on, Hey, what do you think I should do with this hiring thing? I don't want to just Ask me elsewhere. So that's one thing. So there's a little tweaky adjustment I can make. I can add some async and keep the relationship building part. Well, that's where I think the coaching habit works well. Yes, absolutely. And that's the kind of, that's what I want. I would like 90 to 100% of my one-on-one time to be coaching and take care of the other stuff async. So that's one thing I'm going to do. 
The other thing is, I should probably glance at my calendar for a second, which is are you are you writing better. these down? Because it seems like you're you're proactively writing up your New Year's resolutions. No, I don't do resolutions. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So uh, the other thing is that a lot of meetings I'm moving to from. I don't know how it is with you. When I was at Microsoft, a lot of the meetings weren't very useful. Where I'm at now, most of my meetings are, but I'm actively moving 60-minute meetings to 30-minute meetings. Mm. All of my 30-minute meetings right now appear to be one-on-ones looking at my calendar. Anyway, uh, just looking for things like, like there is a meeting coming up on Monday. I'm not going to name the meeting or the group it's with, but it is a monthly meeting that is constantly a meeting that should be an email. And if it's, I gave some feedback after the last one. And if it happens again, I, I, I will do something. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. My time's too valuable and not, not like I'm, I'm like, Oh, my time's too valuable, but I need some, I got to eat my caviar at eight 30. Uh, no, I'm tired I, I, of meetings. No, I actually, that's, that's an interesting topic because one of the things, so I have, I have two newly minted principles working for me. Woohoo. Okay. And nice. it is nice. But uh so I'm trying to help them adapt to what that role means, right? Cuz when you when you switch bands, it's very common for people to initially start off with, "Oh, it's the same thing as the other band just more." And new, no, no it's not. And they're like, "What?" Yeah, no it's not. And walking them through it. And one of the things that I've been trying to get them to understand, and I haven't, you kind of touched on it. It's like, look, I want you to be allergic to being, to spending your time on things that a significantly lower level person can do competently. Right. That is yeah. that it that is not there is no ROI for your time on that. But Brent, what if as your principal, I can do it twice as fast as the more junior level person? Uh, well, then. If if it is something like there's a live site where I need the fire put out, then then it might be the right call. But if it's something that's repeated, then actually you are not helping me grow these lower level folks. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and I do put that on them. I'm like, look, whether you wanted the job or not, you're now a principal and people are looking and watching and you are leading by example. And I want that example to be something when you look back on it, you go, oh, I am proud of what I did there, right? It's it's not around being a dick and say, do you, right? No, I'm not doing that. Uh, let, let's say you're talking to a PM or something. Like I talk to lower level PMs all the time and they're like, okay, Brent, can you do this, this, uh, this query for me? Good. I, I can, not, not gonna. <laughs> right it if like with, with in particular with pms i my my strategy is so far until i can't scale anyone who wants to learn to fish come to me i will spend the time and i will teach you to fish 
But if you're coming to me thinking I'm the fish welfare department, yeah, you're wrong. Go away. Yeah. Like, so um, actually, this reminds me as we as we spin our web through Tangentville. Yeah. Took a little bit of shit. We had a um an incident with one of our internal systems uh two weeks ago, and uh, I spent some time in the incident channel helping to debug because debugging is one of the things that I got good enough that I, I I'm pretty good at. I think somebody gave me some crap or like as as a as you call me the uppity exec. Is it really a good use of your time to spend time looking at this incident? And actually, given it was mission critical, yeah, yeah, I could spend some time there poking around. It's all right. Yeah, but yeah. Not, but regularly, I don't want to do that. I I shouldn't be in every incident helping them debug. That would be dumb. No, it it's 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 a good it's a good thing to get your hands dirty on things like that every so often, so that you can you can get a sense of why can't someone lower level. Figure so this out. L- l- let's rewind the stack once. Um, so I'm going to, I'm committing to not making a resolution. I'm going to make my one-on-ones better by having more async communication with my direct reports. I am going to, again, this is just, I'm, I'm looking at information. This is what I do. I take a bunch of information in. I figure out how much is practical to incorporate with or to experiment in the current way I do things. I want to encourage more async work. I want to encourage more communication. Um, and sometimes it's a European to America handoff. I don't know. How do I get those conversations to happen? I don't know. Um, getting discussion or we don't really have discussion meetings, but getting uh, a check-in meeting or needing to make a decision to get those to happen faster. I think 90% of 60-minute meetings can be done in 30 minutes. I think probably a lot of 30 minute meetings can be done in 15 minutes. Let me go. Oh, can I tell you uh, oh, one God. thing that bugs the hell out of me is when we are in a, a 60 minute meeting or a 30 minute meeting, I don't care, a long meeting and we get down to five minutes left and we're done. And somebody running the meeting says, okay, we have five minutes left. What should we talk about? That does that happen to you? Uh, all the time. That's I, how the, that's how oh the my meeting- God. That's how the meeting gets converted from ending early to going a half hour over. Oh my God. Why do people do that? I like, I try and make a practice of it. Like I have, I have employees that do this too. And I give them feedback. If there is a minute left, you do not get to say one more thing. A minute left is done. Anything in five minutes. If there's a pause in the conversation with five minutes or less left, the meeting's over. Especially in the, in the online world where I need a, chance to go fill up my coffee cup or my water glass or use the bathroom that's that said that said if i have five minutes left i would rather and and someone has a a burning question why did it not come up in the first 25 minutes sometimes people forget things Right, where the the I would and, rather and, and it, wait, it, wait, wait, but stop. let me say, it, it, I it's, would rather them ask me that now than set up a whole other half hour meeting. But it's cyclical. What well, they're <laughs> they should be asking you that question in Teams or Slack or whatever thing you have, but they're because we haven't figured out how to work async because those questions don't get answered, they feel like they have to ask you in the meeting, right. And that's wrong, and I want that to be fixed. That's my point. As a world in technology, the fact that we have not learned, and I should say we generally do rock this as well as probably do many other companies, but you and I can say uh, for our respective worlds, 
we have not learned nearly as much about working asynchronously in the last two and a half years as we should have in hindsight. No, I, I do think there has been a lot of learning around working autonomously. Yes. But asynchronously towards a, a mutually agreed valuable direction uh, has definitely not occurred. In a lot of regards, autonomously in that same direction has often not occurred. Autonomous, autonomous, yeah, anyway, go ahead. No, I, I can fix that for you. So autonomy without alignment doesn't work. If I give I, you autonomy to, to do your work, you still need to know what problem you're trying to solve. And yes. so what's happened is we have these meetings to try and get alignment. We're unable to get alignment asynchronously. We use the meetings to gain alignment or we don't gain alignment at all. And people work autonomously and they just work on random shit because they don't have any alignment on what they're supposed to be doing. Autonomy does not work without high alignment. Sorry. High autonomy does not work without high alignment. Right. No, in a team environment with the, with that. Sure. But seriously, if I'm working on by myself on something, my, my, my solo project to do whatever, um, I already have autonomy because I'm not accountable to anybody. I can do whatever the hell I want. Anyway, async would love to hear um, each of your th- each of our three listeners from you on what it means to work uh, uh, asynchronously and how your companies are doing. I would love to read much, much more about this. I'm going to keep there's a ton of articles from Doist. You cannot believe how many are out there. I'm sure other companies do this. I would love to hear how it works. And I'm a little embarrassed that we haven't done better. That's all. Okay, man. So I know I said this at the end of the last podcast, but really next time we should really talk about what it takes to go from being a traditional checker, tester, whatever people do, whatever they call themselves. Nobody calls themselves a checker. So why do we call it checking versus testing? I have no idea. I guess it's because uh, devs do I, checking, but they're called developers, not checkers. I don't get it. Wait, anyway, wait. I want to talk about how someone goes from a more typical testing role into doing experimentation or A-B testing or something that actually gets helps you understand what your customer is doing and, and make their lives better. And, and to be clear, when I was in college, I work at, worked at a grocery store and I was a checker. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's good. And then I left that's, that job to become a tester. That, that, that's a good that's a really good point. Did you do anything in between? Did you go from college right right into testing at Microsoft? Yeah, no, no. Remember, um, well, you may have forgotten. So my path to Microsoft was a little unique. Oh yes, that's right. I remember now. And then, did you ever read that book called How We Test Software at Microsoft? Uh, no, I possess it. <laughs> I possess it too. <laughs> <laughs> I've scanned a few things. Right, it's it's. For me, because I know all of the authors, it was kind of fun to kind of go through and say, okay, can I guess who wrote which and things like that. Did I tell you about the time when I was, uh, you know, actively looking for new jobs outside of Microsoft and I had a recruiter literally ask me. So on a scale of, on a scale of not at all to the author of how we test software at Microsoft, how much do you know about testing at Microsoft? Are you asking me? No, that was that was what I was asked. I didn't realize I was the uh, one of the authors. 
or the really is that the what main they author. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, um, to be clear, well, and just at so this knows, point in time, 120 yeah, percent. Well, there, are, well, there are, I did the math. I said, well, um, the other authors wrote about 70 pages each and I wrote about 270 pages. So um, I did the math, whatever percentage that is. That's how much I know. Plus, whatever you've learned that now makes that book and they, invalid. And, and, and what's funny is they didn't contact me back after that. I think my answer was too much of a smart ass. They decided I was a dick. Yeah, well, yeah. It's okay, man. I ended up with a good gig that I like. So all is good, man. All is good. No, dumb, no. dumb things happen to all of us in life, and we and we we avoid the life is all about just getting through the obstacles and surviving. Life I, is an obstacle course. I God, com- completely agree. But on the, that last thing that you just said, I absolutely am supportive of being your your true self in an interview. And if they don't call you back, that's Friggin' fantastic. Did I tell you about the time I interviewed at Amazon and I decided about a, quor- in, a quarter of the way into my second interview, there was absolutely no way I was ever going to work there? No, you did not. And then I, I, and I, I just, that was my attitude the rest of the day. Was and what? Was that I really convinced me I want to work here because I don't want to be here. They made me finish mm. my day of interviews. Um, I asked a lot of questions about I, I i kind of mocked their questions because they were i was i maybe i didn't have a good panel i don't know it was a joke and i felt like i was inside of like a business firm more than a software company and then they actually they uh called me back and said okay you weren't a good fit for this role but we can we'd like you to come back for a lower level job and i said actually no i'm good yeah no th- thank you no yeah, yeah not, the, a good, um, not a good fit. I'm sorry, Amazon. I, I I spend a crap ton of money with you, but you're you're not the place I would ever work. I'm sorry. Uh nor nor will I. And I, I too had my own uh I had my own experience there. And I'll just say like the the their bar raiser. You know do you know that? Yeah, role? yeah, I know all about the bar raiser. And actually okay. I should say Amazon's a big company. There could be groups at Amazon that I would love working in. I just had like this experience of like, wow, thank you for bringing me in because now I know I don't want to work here. This is actually very good. Yeah, their bar raiser had a had a laptop that had a sticker on it that had had F, but not F, the full spelled out, Microsoft. Oh, that's okay. awesome. That's right. That's awesome. And, oh. and they're, and I'm like, interesting laptop. Right. It, and, and to me, it was interesting because I'm like, okay, what culture where you're, what, what can you say about the culture that, that sort of permits profanity on laptops? It, it doesn't have like a, 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 some sort of stigma against it. I mean, I'm not I'm not anti profanity, but I'm like, okay, it's, that's an unusual thing about uh, an, a, uh, I don't, a working to me, culture. That, that's that's an antithesis to the culture that I experienced in my interview. But I, I do yeah. want to say that speaking of the bar raiser, I am taking an online training course available through uh, Unity on uh, interviewing, which is actually excellent, and it's done by a guy whose name I forget who was, I don't know if he was one of the inventors of the bar raiser or anyway, or he's involved in it at least. I don't know, but really good tips on not just tips, but guidelines on doing good interviews. I've seen a lot of bad interviews. As you know, I wasn't as appropriate at Microsoft. So did like a gazillion interviews. I had seen so many bad interviews. It's good to uh, 
good to have a refresher. I think it goes back to that book of, of I, I like the books where I nod my head all the way through. So I'm, I'm watching this training and kind of nodding my head all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good stuff. More people, more people should, should watch this anyway, man. I don't think anybody's still listening because uh, this was a, they kept on waiting for us to get to the point, And the point is that the podcast is now over. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I stopped listening like 10 minutes ago. Same, same. <laughs> my, uh. All right, man. It's been good hanging out with you. I will see you in two weeks for episode 168 Perfect. on the road to 200 and the 10 year anniversary. We'll see how things go. Awesome. All right. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. Au revoir. Bye. Sayonara. Bye.